We, um, we just had a guest speaker, uh, a friend of ours from Dallas who came to the church for New Year's. And um, this is the kind of guy, Eric would love him because they could just talk Hebrew together, you know. And he's the kind of guy that if you tell him, you know, I was reading and I saw the definition of this word in the Hebrew. He said, well, actually, you know, if you break that down by letters, each letter means this and this is always something deeper. So I can never outdo him. I quit trying. Uh, but um, he comes and he brings something so profound. And this time he came and he spoke so simply that I, I, I kind of, you, know, you ever have that? You're like, well, gee, that was kind of simple. But yet it was so what our church needed that the five days that he was there really transformed something in us. Uh, and he spoke to us the last day just to the leadership team. And what he shared was so eye-opening that uh, I said, I think I need to share this with the church. And he said, I agree. So I did, and something just transitioned for us. And I really thought, I said, man, I, I should share that at Eric's church. But then I said, no, no, I don't do that because I, I just like the message. But uh, then I got here and I was sharing with uh, Eric and Jen and Eric said, you know, could you share that with our church? And I said, well, I, I could, but this is the first trip I came home and I forgot to bring my memory stick. I didn't bring any of my notes with me. Um, and so him and Wade and I sat down and he said, well, what, if we think of some scriptures, we might, it, you might get your mind going. It's, we can try. So we came up with some scriptures, and I've, even during the worship, the Lord just kept bringing some new points. So this is not going to be, it's not super theological, and it's not, it may not be super polished, but I'm hoping at the end it's super changing, okay? Uh, but I wanted, I just had some thoughts, um, because, you know, when, when you talked about holiness and uh, the song you were singing, uh, Jesus only did what he, I said, oh, I was, I was wanting to run to the computer to Dropbox and print out some different notes, you know. It's just, it's so tempting <laughs> to change the message. I said, no, Lord, we're going to stick with what, what we think you said, but I can still throw some nuggets in there uh, because it's 8-11. They know I speak long. They've never run out yet. Uh, and if it's good, you'll stay till the end anyway, right? But I just felt like the Lord wanted to say something about complaining words and about offense and sensitivity and about gossip. I'm not rebuking you. Uh, we just went through a season in our church. You, I don't know if you can see this when I come, but the last time that I came to speak, I was right in the middle of one of the hardest times in ministry that I've ever been going through. I wasn't, I wasn't looking to quit. I've gotten over that. But I was, uh, I was in an extremely passive place. And it, I was struggling to find my power in prayer. And I was, I was really struggling to hear the direction of the Lord. And it was creating te- uh, team problems because... You know, if I'm not being who I'm supposed to be, I find it causes the people who work with me to not be who they're supposed to be. And the enemy came in with all the old things in Romania, the suspicions and the gossip and the negative speaking and the the examining of one another. And uh, the Lord spoke some things to us to help transition that. And I gave a message one night that I, I actually wanted to give here tonight about being about the Father's business. And I just want to tell you that, uh, you know, we can become so... Not clickish, but pardon the word, I can't think of a better term, but incestual in the church. That it all becomes about us and our family and all of our relationship and all of our intimacy. Now, now I think that our primary relationships need to be godly and they should be in the household of faith. But it can become so much that we're about us that before we know it, there's no outward focus. There's no doing the work of the Father and you become so introverted, self-absorbed, you begin to just examine yourself. You begin to examine the people around you. 
You begin to examine their motives. You begin to examine their words. You begin to examine their expressions. You begin to examine why they parted their hair on that side that Sunday. You know, everything just comes in. And I, I but we started, I, this is going to go long if I share this. We, we felt like we had to go after the witchcraft in Romania. And, uh, we did some research to find out, Lord, if we're going to really go after this, we want to be effective. We want it to bear fruit. Where do we go? So we got online and we started examining where do the covens go? Where do the warlocks and the witches meet? Where does the witchcraft take place? And we found out that in Romania, right there in Cluj, is what's called the most haunted forest in the world. And this, this forest is called the Hoya Bachu Forest. And in the center of this forest is a clearing that's probably about three times the size of this room. And it's this big circle. It's surrounded by all the trees, all the forest, all the vegetation. Nothing grows in the middle. It's just dead. And in that dead space, uh, ghost hunters have come and done an episode. Paranormal investigators come all the time. They get all kinds of strange readings. If you find the ghost hunters episode, this, this guy has a real freak out experience at this one place at one of the entry points to this clearing from the forest. And we took our swords. Do y'all know what the quest is? The fellowship of the sword? Well, we, we took our swords from that and we went to each entrance of that place one night. We, we camped out in the middle of this witchcraft place, ten guys. We fasted and prayed for three days. And on the second night, we went to each entrance with our swords and we took scriptures and prophecy. We began to proclaim things in those areas. And it was really powerful. But at the exact spot where this guy freaked out, as we were standing there praying, I got hit with fear. Like, I mean, I'm with ten guys and I'm standing there trembling. I'm saying, Lord, what is going on here? There's something really happening in this place. UFO sightings, strange lights, strange apparitions, uh, a little girl that disappeared when she was 12 years old and reappeared five years later in the same clothes and didn't know where she had been, a shepherd who went out with his sheep and disappeared with 200 sheep was never heard from again. It's just, it's a bizarre place. And at every entrance, as you follow the trees, there's the Wiccan sign about every 10th tree that leads you into this place where they do all of the worship and the witchcraft. So this is where we're camping out. And we're fasting and we're praying and we're worshiping the Lord. And on the last night, uh, we cooked dinner at about 10 o'clock, really felt a strong victory. And uh, after we ate dinner, we lit our obligatory celebratory cigars and we began to enjoy the glory cloud of the Lord. And at about, at about midnight, we're puffing on these cigars and we see these lights coming from the forest. And we hear people and this group of about seven people come in there and we hear them and they're speaking in English. And I said, well, this is interesting. They've got cameras and they're filming and they're talking and they finally walked over and said, how long have you guys been here? I said, we've been here three days. Have you experienced anything unusual? No. Well, we're a paranormal investigative team and we came with the ghost hunters uh, for an episode several months back and we came back. We had so many bizarre readings and things. We came back to see if we could find anything else out. And we said, well, what did you find? They said, absolutely nothing. It's just a normal forest now. And they said, what are you guys doing here? Well, funny you should ask. We're from a church and we're fasting and praying here. And we've been fasting and praying to drive out all the witchcraft in this. She said, oh, please don't do that. You're, we're not going to have anything to find, you know. But it was, it was such an awesome confirmation. It was on the last night right after we had finished everything and lit up our celebration and the Lord sends these people. So what we decided after that was to go more for some outreach um, there's some people who are pressing us to go on foreign missions, but, uh, you know, this whole, this whole thing about an apostolic, uh, church and having to, you know, uh, only do what he says and go. So, but he's sending us out locally. We've gone out to the junkyard where the gypsies have built shacks 
and shanties and we've prayed for people and they've been healed and Amen. we started but me and a couple from the church started a pub ministry okay it doesn't sound very holy but uh we just go out to the bars and the pubs and we go out to meet people and talk with them and every time we go about nine o'clock and i say lord uh i'll stay till midnight or one o'clock but that's it this this old man can't do it anymore and the lord has such a sense of humor Every significant encounter happens at about 12.30. And it always seems to take us until about between 5 and 7 in the morning. Of course. I love it, but I hate it, you know. The, the next day is just, uh, it's just painful. But as we've been doing, it, it is, it's hard. I'm, I'm 45, guys. I know I look 25, but... No, I just had a 45th birthday party and the church put up posters everywhere. It said 45 and still hot. And I said, amen, speak it, people. There. But um, but we uh, but we noticed we noticed a difference after we tore down this witchcraft stuff. He, there was a, more of an openness. People began to come to us and ask us what we were doing there and sitting and talking with us. In fact, uh, one of the waiters we've been reaching out to called me at three in the morning after work the other night and just said, "Man, I miss you. You're the only quality people in my life. Uh, I'm looking forward to you getting back here." Amen. So, well, amen. Then I guess I'm looking forward to getting back too. Uh, but um, my point was this: as we've been doing that. And then I go to the church, and I made a mistake in our church. I preached about immaturity. And you shouldn't preach about things you don't want to get stirred up in your church, you know. Because if you preach, the Lord has a way of revealing. And that's always fun for a pastor. So I preached on immaturity for four weeks. And on the fourth week and a half at the service, we had uh, three couples that just went out of their minds. And we were dealing with all of these problems. And the next week, the Lord gave me a message on being about the Father's business. And what I told them was this. If you would get, I'm not, I'm not saying if you would, okay, if you, okay, I try not to offend you tonight, all right? Eric said, take all the liberty, speak like you're at home, but I, I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to you, okay? He's but talking to you. If, <laughs> if you would get out and be about the Father's business, you would find you don't have time to be offended. Amen. You don't have time to gossip. You don't have time to be concerned about what brother or sister so-and-so is thinking about you at a certain given moment. You're too busy about the Father's business. Yes. And when you're about the Father's business and you're meeting people and you're sharing Jesus... Now, I have two and a half years of Bible college and I have a real estate degree. Uh, real estate school, actually. I mean, it's like eight weeks. You call it a degree. But uh, it's, it, it, it's not rough, okay? That's my education. So I'm out with a guy that we met who has a master's in philosophy and a master's in psychology and is a professional masseuse. And he says, I'm going to meet a group of my philosopher friends who we went to master at school together. Would you like to join us? I said, yes, I'd love to join you. And uh, we sat down and began talking, and of course, there it comes. And, you know, they know a lot about a lot of things, but they, they don't know. And I said, guys, you know a lot about, but you don't know. And there's a big difference in knowing something and knowing about something. And I told the church, you'd have been so happy to see your pastor because here's all these masters throwing out there. And they did not have an answer. All they could do was be circular. You catch them here, so they try to go here. You catch them here, so they try to go here. But that guy is the waiter who just called the other night. Uh, so God's doing something in his life. But, but when you see that happening, when you see Jesus just meeting people through you in places and you see his life flowing, you know, it's amazing. I'm not tired at six in the morning. I see the sun come up and then realize, yeah, this, this was a mistake. Uh, but up until that moment, it's really good. But when I go to church, I really, the, the, some of the stupidity that I have to deal with with people, I'm like, you know, if you'd just be about the Father's business, we wouldn't be talking about this stupid stuff right now. Yeah. You wouldn't be up here offended because I said something in one of the preachings that dealt with something that you had done, and now you think that I'm flinging arrows at you. You know, you wouldn't be standing here telling me why you're hurt, why you're wounded, why you're questioning my motives. 
you would you would just simply say, you know what, that's who I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Praise God. Amen. You know, I thought we were supposed to rejoice in the things that the Lord had changed in us. I, I didn't know we were supposed to whine about them every time that they were mentioned. If Eric gets up and preaches something that I used to do, I'm just like, hey, that used to be, praise God, you've changed me. This is awesome, you know. But I just want to encourage you. Get out about the Father's business and you don't have time to be offended. You, don't have, you, you won't be sensitive. You won't complain. You won't gossip because your mind just won't go there, okay? Come on, bro. So please go get busy. Yes. Amen? Amen. All right, let's have a dismissal prayer and you can go get busy, okay? <laughs> Eric didn't laugh, but the rest of y'all did. Thank you. <laughs> Think about Jesus and the apostles. I was, I was thinking, I think about them sometimes. But you think about, if you think about, it's when I do my weekly Bible reading. If you think about Jesus and his disciples, did you ever notice that Jesus was always focused on his disciples and he was always focused on the people he was ministering to? And you never saw Jesus worried about what people are thinking. He knew what people were thinking and he'd confront them on it. But he was never moved by it or bothered by it. But what did you always notice with the disciples? Who's going to sit on the right or on the left? What's going to happen with that guy, you know? What about me? And what do you find among them? Gossiping, complaining, backbiting, position fighting, you know? And I was like, Lord, why is the church more like them than it is like you? It would be nice if we could transition this away from being worried about who's on the right, who's on the left, who's getting promoted, what's going to happen with that guy, and just say, let's be more like Jesus. Amen. Let's just be more about the people that God's called us to minister to, and we won't be so moved by all the nonsense. The world might even want to come if they see our love for one another as Christians. I, is there a verse about that? I'd like to have, I would like to have some kind of proof text for that comment. All right, I'll move on because uh, maybe you get bored with this, okay? But in this last season, there's just been, there's been so much attack, so much attack against my position, my calling, our ministry, that, uh, the Lord finally just brought me to a place where all I really care about is who I am in Him. Amen. I'm not bothered. I uh, I was going to share this at the end, but I just I uh, I feel to go ahead and tell. No, okay. Now I'm confused. Wait, I don't know whether to tell that story at the beginning or the end because it fits with the apostolic calling. Okay, I'm going to save it just in case. You're going to love it. I hope you I hope you laugh and don't go. Gee, that's what I thought. But what happened on this leadership meeting, Mike, Mike Massa, who is the, the minister that came and shared with us, he said, um, he's not a flatterer. You know, he's not one of these guys to come tell you something to make you feel good. So I really receive this as the truth from God. But he said, the Lord wants me to talk to you guys about what it means to be an apostolic church, because this is what he's called you to be. Uh, my feeling is you don't understand that. And I want to help bring some clarity to it. And my first thought was don't understand it, didn't even know it. Had no idea that God was calling us to... I'm, I'm not an arrogant guy. Uh, just like Moses, if I were writing a book about myself, I would say Dennis, who was the most the humble man that walked the earth, you know? <laughs> Moses wrote it about himself, I can write it too. Uh, but you know, my, my dream, when I, when I went to Romania, my dream was to start a, a local church and have a thriving local church. All of the big vision that came was what God kept adding along the way. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't really want it. In fact, it's, sometimes it's a load to carry while you're believing for it. It would be much easier to just say, can't, can't we just have a good local church, Lord? Do we really have to believe for a campus? Do we really have to believe for a kindergarten? Do we really have to believe for a discipleship training school for leaders for the future? Do, do we really have to believe for worship conferences and healing conferences and, and all of this kind of stuff? Do we, do we really have to believe for 1% of the city? I have to believe for 5,000 people? You know, How about just a few hundred in a local church? People that love each other, it would be much easier. So I'm not about the big vision and the glory and this kind of stuff, but God just keeps putting that on us. 
So I was not one who was praying and saying, Lord, would you give me an apostolic uh, anointing? Because I just feel like I want to be an apostle. I really don't want to be an apostle. Because if you ever read the book about the apostles, they didn't really get, they didn't have the good part of this, okay? Their reward is awesome. Their daily walk kind of sucked, if I can say that in church. It was, it was pretty difficult at times, you know? Is that okay? I mean, I, you, you said be at home. I say that in my church. I say but, and I say sucks, and yes. I just mean it's a bad situation. So what, what he started to do is he, he said, I want to share with you some characteristics about what it means to be an apostolic church. And that's what I want to do with you guys tonight. Because even though I didn't bring the notes because I said I'm not going to re-preach it, I, I feel like it's, it's uh, poetry, um, appropriate for the body here. I believe it's, it's a similar calling, and I believe it explains a lot and it might make you feel better by the time you leave. Would you like to feel better tonight? Yeah? Does anyone come to church to not feel better? No? My church comes to not feel better because they're pretty used to me preaching in a way that they don't feel better when they leave. They feel challenged. They still love me. They think I love them, but they don't feel better. Uh, but, uh, but, but the Lord's brought me, you know, I just, I'm at a place where my, my calling's not my identity. And uh, these problems with these couples came up, and, and I don't know if you all have this here. I don't know if the enemy always uses new things with you, but with us, he keeps using the same old things over and over again. And I love Romania, but Romania is a very selfish and backwards country. It's the truth. It's uh, full of religion. It's full of fear. It's full of superstition. It's full of family worship, you know. Families hate each other, but they will idolize one another over anyone and everything else, including God. Uh, all you have to do is offend a member of the family, and the whole family will turn against you. It is a nation of treachery and betrayal, and that is its history. It's a place where you can have eight years of relationship pouring into people's lives, and if they get offended over the simplest thing, they will swallow that seed, they will let a root of bitterness grow, and before you know it, some of your most dedicated, committed people who you thought were solid will turn on you, and not just turn on you and go, but then do anything they can to destroy you and the ministry of God that He's trying to bring in that place. Sounds real positive, I know, but I still love it there. Uh, but so what I did, I told the church one Sunday, we're going to do something that I swore that we would never do. I want you to pray this week, and next week we're going to have a vote. This is your only chance, so take advantage of it. But next week I'm going to hand you out papers, and you're going to vote for Dennis to stay as your pastor, or you're going to vote for Dennis to go. If you say go, Dennis has no problem. He will go back to Texas. He hates the climate in Houston, but he knows where there's a good church. And he can go back and he can join with some people doing the work of the Lord. Amen. And he can thrive and God's going to bless him and, and it'll be just okay for Dennis, okay? But Radu can take over the church and I'll send financial support to at least make his life a little easier on that level while he tries to pastor you people. So uh, during, during, during the week, on, on the Saturday before the vote, I'm being a little comical, but there is some truth behind what I'm saying. Uh, before The night before the vote... Radu comes to me. He's my associate pastor. And he brings me a bag and he, he says, here's a gift for you. One of the guys in our church works at a, a company and they do advertising. They make coffee cups, uh, you know, the logos on coffee cups and T-shirts and business shirts and all of that kind of stuff. And he brought me something. He said, here's a present for you from Donna, but you can't open it till tomorrow. And I said, well, why can't I open it? You'll understand tomorrow. And I'm holding it and I'm thinking, feels about like a T-shirt. And I thought about, I don't know why, but I thought about Napoleon Dynamite. Vote for Pedro. And I said, and I looked at Radu, I said, is this a vote for Dennis t-shirt? I said, man, how did you know that? I, like, I said, it just made sense. We're having the vote tomorrow. So we came in and I had my sweatsuit on. This is what I preach in at home too. And uh, I had my t-shirt on underneath. And I said, guys, I hope you prayed. It's time to vote. 
pass out the slips. I don't want to manipulate you. I'm not going to try to... I, I, this just needs to come from the Lord, but man, is it hot in here? And I just unzipped and showed on my shirt. And We had the vote, and it was unanimous that Dennis should stay. So I said, this should be resolved once and for all, but my identity is not in this. But then the Lord comes and speaks this word about this apostolic church, about this apostolic ministry and what it means, and, and all of a sudden everything changes. And I'm really believing God tonight that everything's going to change for you. Now, I want to compliment you, and I say this with my whole heart. I don't say this to flatter you. This will probably not be as um, revelatory to you as it was to us because I think you all already see this to a degree. We really didn't see it. You know, John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to rob, to kill, and to destroy. I know it says steal, kill, and destroy, but I say rob because usually I say steal, kill, and it doesn't work well. So to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And for the last year, one of the heavy things on us has been that we've been getting robbed over and over and over. We've been getting robbed of our people resources, our financial resources, our, our, our physical energy resources. We've been robbed in, in health over and over and over again, and we, and we knew it was a thieving spirit, and we have prayed against the thieving spirit. We took a stand, but it just it wasn't working. And God brings this word, and all of a sudden what we realized is the enemy has been robbing us and has been effective because we had a calling that we didn't know that we had. But he could see it in the spirit. So where we're trying to fight him on a level of defeat because of the unknown, my people perish for lack of knowledge, Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6, my people perish for lack of knowledge. We were perishing for lack of knowledge. We did not know the fullness of God's intent and purpose and calling for our ministry. So the enemy was robbing us and we didn't even know it. But the minute that this word came and the minute that it was over, everything changed. So I'm hoping that at least, even if you have a better picture of this than we did, I hope it paints a clearer picture that you walk out this door and all of a sudden you're more secure, you're more certain, you're more, you're more in position. You're better equipped to stand because now you know what's going on and why it's going on and what your position is that's going to stop that from continuing to work, both in your church because it is an apostolic ministry, but the church is a house made up of living stones. And that means that in your life personally, every area where you're getting robbed, every area where you've been defeated, every area where you've been a target of attack, this revelation can cause you to understand because of what I'm a part of is why I'm being attacked. But because of what I'm a part of, I stand in that same calling, that same ministry anointing, and now I can stand for that same victory and the same manifestation of the fruit of that calling as a part of life-changing ministries and fellow LCMF. Yeah, I get the F and the C reversed. Life-changing fellowship. Minute, never mind. How about one life changed? You call us three C life. I'll call you one life changed. Okay, because because we're actually Covenant Christian Center. But, um, well, 3C Life is my incorporated ministry, but Covenant Christian Center is the name of the church. So, now, let, let's just take, you've got the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher. You know about the, the, the giftings, the, the ministry giftings, okay? Uh, and you take uh, a pastor, for example. Uh, a true pastor's heart is to shepherd the sheep, okay? A pastor's heart is, what do the sheep need? How can I bless the sheep? How can I encourage the sheep? How can I lift up? The... Now, this is valid, okay? I'm not criticizing a pastoral calling by any means. It's valid, but it's limited, okay? It will give you a, an, an unbalanced diet if everything's focused on that. So typically, you'll have a pastor bring in 
you know, an apostolic figure to speak to the church. The apostolic figure will speak and the whole church will be like, yeah, ah, oh, I see that. I get that. Wow. Pastor, you're speaking next week, right? <laughs> That's kind of the idea. They can handle it for a week, but, you know, they want to go back to being fed and being blessed and being encouraged. So if you're in a place where you've got this, this apostolic ministry calling, it can be very difficult. It can be very confusing. Uh, the way that Pastor Mike put it was like this. He said, okay, so Dennis comes to me and today is this Dennis who's going to encourage me and bless me and lift me up? Or is this Dennis who's going to speak the words of the Father to me? And the answer is yes. It needs to be both. The, the greatest compliment that anyone ever gave me was when he said, guys, I want to tell you that you have a pastor who does not tell you his opinion. He doesn't tell you what he thinks. He doesn't preach what he wants to share. He only shares with you what he hears the Father saying. And I believe it's the same thing with Eric. I, there's a very similar, I mean, our personalities, no, no, not similar at all. But the anointing, the calling, the, the way of preaching, what we focus on, what, our, what the desire of our heart is, it's exactly the same. And it causes us to release something that, that can be difficult, it can be heavy, it can be hard, but it's not because it's bad. It's because God's trying to bring a balanced diet to a group of people that He needs in order to break through the cultural strongholds, the demonic anointings, you know, to rise up in the weapons of our warfare that are not of the flesh but are mighty in God for the pulling down of the strongholds, whether it be over Cluj or it be over Houston. Amen. There are mighty strongholds over our cities that have to come down. Our, Houston is like Dallas. It is filled with churches. It is filled with mega churches. And, I mean, I've never... There's so... Okay. I'm trying to be less critical. They're so pleased with themselves. And yet I look at Dallas and I look at Houston and my first question is, if, if it's so wonderful, where's the impact on the culture? Where, where's the trend? Even that, we're not even maintaining the culture. You know, 20,000 member churches all over the place, but I don't see Houston's culture being maintained. I don't see Dallas's culture being maintained. I don't see Cluj's culture being maintained, but we have no mega uh, charismatic churches. What I see is a culture that's still in decline. And I see a lot of people who want to go to church and get blessed and they want to hear principles on how to have a better life, but I don't see something happening that is tearing down the strongholds and transitioning our culture. And uh, the, the word that Mike Massa gave is when, whenever God has something that he needs fixed, he sends a man to fix it. Amen. And I believe God sent me to Cluj to fix it. I believe that he sent Eric here to Houston to fix it, but I can't do it. Eric can't do it. He needs a body of believers that are hungry for him that are hungry and thirsty for the kingdom and righteousness, not just hungry for manifestations, not just hungry for financial blessing, or not just hungry for you know good worship or being a part of the church that everybody knows or a great social club, but are hungry and thirsty for the kingdom of God and His righteousness Amen. so that He can add all the other things to them because their motives and their hearts are in the right place. Amen. You know, you're not... You just... You know, I'm way off of where we, we went, but it said about Jesus, he, he was a priest in the order, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek meaning first, uh, king of righteousness, and then Salem, king of peace. And I believe in the Bible there's an order for a reason, and I want to tell you, he can't be your peace until he's first your righteousness. There is no peace without righteousness. And I have people in my church coming to me and say, would you please pray for me because of this? I say, no, I can't cast out your flesh. What is wrong with you? Why do charismatics think you can cast out the flesh and then you can you can uh, lay hands on me and impart all of the fruit of the Spirit? 
These things that we have to surrender our lives for, these things that we have to yield to the work of the Spirit for, these, these things that Paul and, and, and all of the epistles and Jesus tells, you've got to lay down your life. You've got to reckon it dead. You know, it, he doesn't say, come get prayer to get, to get the old man cast off. He says, you put off the old man. Amen. And then you put on the new man in righteousness, you know, according to the, to the new creation. There's these things that we're responsible for. The grace is there to be the power to do what it is that we're called to do. I mean, how can Peter tell us, just as, as it is written, be holy for, I'm, for I am holy, says the Lord, in all your conduct. You know, I think most of us don't believe we can do that. But why would God tell us in His Word to do something that, that we couldn't do? Is He, is God that, is He that mean? No. Do we have a cruel God? No. Is He some taskmaster up there laughing from His throne because <laughs> look what I told Him to do and there ain't no way He can, that's not the God that we serve. Yeah. He's the God who says, he's the God who Paul writes about and says, brethren, I beg of you, by the mercies of God, do not take the grace of God in vain. And if grace is just a big cover-up, or thank God for grace, well, I'm only human, but there's grace. You know, God knows I'm just a human. No, God doesn't know you're just a human. God knows you're a human who said, I am receiving the gift of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm surrendering my life to Him, and I'm now receiving the fullness of the Spirit that you promised, by which Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with Him. God says, I understand that I made you a new creation. I understand I gave my Son to shed His blood on that cross. I understand that my son gave his life so that you wouldn't be human anymore. So you quit hiding behind this cheap excuse of, well, there's grace to cover it and I'm just human. That is a load of trash from the pit of hell that too many Christians are walking under. Grace, grace that is just a cover for your sin, you can't take that in vain. The grace we take in vain is the fact that we've got the power to be transformed, to live a completely different life, to live a... You know, we're not natural anymore. We're supernatural. And the grace is there to walk in a supernatural way. Not that we can be free from the trials and free from the challenges, but in the same thing that everyone else goes through, they look at you and say, what is it about you? Why is there something different? Well, I have a testimony to share with you now, brother. Because the kingdom of God doesn't come in word only, but it also comes in power. Now that you've seen what the power can do, let, let me share some words with you. Amen. Then maybe people would be open and receptive. And now I'm going to try to transition back to my sheet of paper with the notes, okay? Sorry, I hope that was okay. I just, I, I really get carried away sometimes. But let me tell you something. I'm not trying to put on a show. I really am that passionate. I, I really love him that much. Amen. I, I just want to see him formed in me, and I want to see him formed in everybody around me and everybody that I, that I encounter, everybody I can have influence with. And I can't accept in the church that there's something less for you. Amen. And if, you, if you're accepting something less for you, I'm not going to wink at you and say it's okay. Oh, that actually fits with the message, doesn't it? Well, thanks for the clap. I was kind of worried that maybe I was kind of going off and you all were getting ready to leave. <laughs> Jesus, as we just sang, did what the... He did only what he saw the Father do. He said only what he saw the Father say. And then he says, follow me. The works that I do, you'll do also in greater works than these. And that's not just about supernatural ministry. I mean, I think, uh, honestly, guys, it's easier to heal somebody uh, than it is to die to myself. Yes. I promise you that. Yes. It's, it's easier to pray for deaf ears to open and see them open than it, than it is sometimes to lay down my will for the sake of what I know God wants to do in my life. When Jesus was saying the works that I do, you'll do also, he's, ta he's talking about all of it. Amen. And I just met with a Methodist pastor yesterday, and he's open to the idea of the healing and stuff, but he, 
He said, you know, I really, he said, but we've seen it, but we've seen it in an area of personal transformation. Marriages being healed. Yes. People really surrendering their lives. Amen. People coming out of deep darkness and becoming lovers of God. And I said, I said, Marty, I got to tell you the truth. I like that part better because I've prayed for people who have been healed supernaturally and I never saw them in the church. I prayed for a woman who came crying one day when I was leaving to fly home from Cluj that day. I said, I can't pray for y'all. I'm leaving. Ministry teams are here. And she came up and said, no, please pray for me. I just got diagnosed with terminal ovarian tumors. Uh, I am so scared. Please, please, will you pray for me? Of course, I'll pray for you. I prayed for her. I flew home. Two days later, I received an email from her daughter. She went back to the doctor. Tumors had disappeared. Cancer was gone. Now, that woman stayed in the church for four years. That woman never got baptized. She refused over and over. She said her husband would kick her out of the house. We said it doesn't matter. But when we talked to her daughter, she said it's an outright lie. My dad would have no problem with it. The next time we talked to her, she said, I'm not ready. We explained to her, you're ready as soon as you're saved. You know, and we showed her the biblical proof text for it. Finally, we, the last time we had a baptism, we went to her and said, do you want to get baptized? And she said no. And so we just nicely invited her. Uh, you're either going to follow the Lord in obedience to baptism or this is the last day that you're worshiping at Covenant Christian Center because we will not allow idolatry and insubordination and rebellion in the church. You have chosen to reject the grace and the glory that God has put upon you from saving you from death. He didn't just save you from one death. He saved you from two. And now you refuse to follow Him in baptism. You will not sit in this house anymore until you get baptized. She cried. She thanked us for all the good years. She left and then she began to go tell everybody how mean and cruel we were because we kicked her out of the church. Hey, welcome to life. I'd rather see people transformed. Amen. I mean, Jesus had 10 lepers. One comes back. He said, weren't there 10 of you? The miracles are wonderful. I do enjoy them. But miracles without lives being transformed and coming into the kingdom and surrendering themselves to Jesus, I could live without it. I think we can have both, honestly. Yes. But I, I just hope you get the point. Yes. I, the works that I do, hear the Father and do what He said. Amen. Don't be just hearers of the Word, deceiving yourselves, but hear the Word and do it. The wise man is the man who heard the Word and did it. The unwise man who built his house on the sand was the man who heard the Word. You hearing me? Didn't say it's somebody who never heard the Word. Wasn't the unsaved man. It was the man who heard the Word, but he didn't do what the Word said. I'm kind of practicing my message by accident here because the apostolic church, the apostolic ministry, it's a place that's going to deal with the deficiencies. Yes. It's a place that's going to challenge you to rise above the level you are. It's a place that's going to do more than say, come as you are and stay as you are. Ooh. It's a place that's going to say, come as you are, but if you come, you better be ready to get changed. Amen. You, you know... Um, hey, there would be an amen for that. What's wrong with you? It's okay. My church, my church doesn't amen me either. Sometimes I say the same point three times and I say it louder and louder and then finally they're like, oh, oh, amen, you know. Sometimes I pause and take a drink of water and they amen and I'm like, really, I was just getting a drink. I wasn't trying to get y'all to say anything. <laughs> Let's find some more scriptures here. Um, th think about this. You look in 1 Corinthians and, I, you know, I, can y'all be good Bereans and just look these up? For, I mean, Eric, you know, Eric said, Dennis, you got to use some scriptures from my church. And I'm like, do, you have to, do I ever preach without the word? Mike Mass already said, I don't give you my opinion. <laughs> but, uh, but for the sake of time, rather than fumbling around looking it all up, I can give you the gist of it and you can look it up to see if I'm lying to you, okay? But 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, this is where Paul comes. He comes to the Corinthian church, a church moving in the gifts like no other church, you know? 
a church that's developed as a mega church. You know how he started that church? When they kicked him out of the temple, he went to a man's house right next door and started a church. And I thought, how cool is that? So he can stand outside and he can look for the people that don't look religious and be like, are you going? To Come here, there's something better, you know. I thought it had to really tick the priest off. But from that came this mega church, this dynamic church in one of the most important cities of the region. And they're moving greatly in the spiritual gifts. I mean, so much so that he's like, guys, you got to bring some order. You know, two or three prophecies at the most, you know, and some tongues of interpretation uh, otherwise don't have it. But but you guys, it's wonderful that you're you're hungry and you're going after it, but we got to bring some order. But in this place of such spiritual gifting, Paul comes in and says, look, I would love to speak to you like spiritual people, but I can't. I have to speak to you like carnal people, like to babes, because I gave you milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Now, this is apostolic ministry. Yeah. You know, this is his church. This is his baby. He planted this church. He led the core group of that church to Jesus Christ. He's not some outsider like me coming in to speak to you. This is the Eric of the church. And he comes in and looks at him and says, I sure wish I could talk to you like your spiritual people, you know? One of the big complaints I get in church is, you know, and I'm like, man, I'm reading scripture. Why are you so upset that I'm reading the Bible? Why can't you just receive it and grow up? That was in the maturity message, okay? So uh, he comes in Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, and he looks at him and he's telling him, you know what? You should be teachers by now, but you still need milk of the word. I still Can't we get past the elementary teachings of Christ? I mean, it's like, come on, church, grow up. Come on, church, get into your calling. Come on, church, dig into the word. Come on, be some Bereans. You know, he's, you know, you cannot get what you need in your Christian walk just from being in a good church. You can come here. I mean, y'all teach what Monday night, Friday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday. But you know, even if you come to all four of those meetings, you're not going to make it. You have to have something personal with him. Amen. You have to have the word from him every day. You've got to be digging in for yourself. Amen. You know, you need revelation for yourself. You need life for yourself. I mean, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What is the word for where you are? What is the word for your situation? What is God's word for the prophecies that he's given you? I like, I mean, here's Paul. Here's boldness. He says, I turned these two guys over to Satan because they didn't hold on to, they blasphemed because they didn't hold on to the prophetic words that were spoken over their lives. If you're not standing up and fighting with, with the Word and the words God has given you, the Apostle Paul would call you a blasphemer. You're not going to make it. You can be in a free church and not be free. Yes. Just because your pastor is free doesn't mean you're free. Just because your worship team is powerful doesn't mean you're powerful, you know? You know what? Just because you experience God's presence here, it doesn't mean that you're spiritual. His presence is here because of the corporate anointing. I want to know what it's like when you go home. Yes. I want to know what's happening when, when you worship, if you even worship at home. What's happening then? Are you sensing that same presence? Are you getting into the Word and God speaking to you revelations just like when Eric's bringing what he's been studying? See, if you don't have that, I'm sorry, what you have is not real. You've got a band-aid spirituality that might be covering up some wounds and helping you cope, but I'm telling you, if you want to hear well done, good and faithful servant instead of I never knew you, you better get up and find him for yourself. Wow! You right. have to find him for yourself. First uh, Timothy three fifteen. Paul comes. You know, Paul writes to Timothy, and he gives him these instructions, telling him how you ought to act in the church. Second uh, Corinthians twelve twenty thirteen three through thirteen three. Can you put that up? Because I forgot what that one was. 
Yeah, 2 Corinthians 12, 20 through 13, 3. I didn't write down a note to tell me what it was. That's good, isn't it? Now, I'm not good with addresses, but I'm good with the, you know, I can quote scripture. I just can't always tell you the address. Uh, okay. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Does this ever happen? Maybe it's just a Cluj Romania thing. Does that ever happen in life changing ministries and fellowship? Does that ever happen at uh, One Life Change? <laughs> I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This is in the church. In the, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the people of the church. This will be my third visit to you, and every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And uh, is this the one where he goes on to talk about, you know, I, you may not find me. I want to come, but I may have to come like this, you know. But this is what an apostolic ministry, this is what an apostolic church is like. It's not about being concerned about the feelings of the people first. It's about being concerned about the righteousness of God first. Because if we can lead you into the righteousness of God, we know that you're going to find peace. We know that if you find peace that passes understanding, it's going to open your heart for the joy of the Lord. We know that if you're experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life, you're also going to be experiencing the strength of God in your life. And I look at it this way. In His presence there is fullness of joy, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you just get in His presence, if you find time in His presence, in His Word, in worship in prayer, in good Christian fellowship, you know, then you, you can quote the Scriptures all day long. If you don't live them, you ain't going to have them. Yeah. I said ain't on purpose, okay, just in case you're wondering. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child, I reasoned or understood like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And you know, it's okay to, be two, to act like two, you're two years old when you're two years old. But there comes a time when you have to leave childish ways. You know, you, any, who has kids? Okay, wow, man. I gotta get moving, don't I? Alright, I, I guess, I think, I think, from what I understand biblically, I have to get married first, so that's kind of been my hindrance in having children. Um, but, if you have a, if you have a kid who's 10 years old, do you, st- do they get away with two year old stuff? No. No? So tell me this, how come if you don't let your kid at 10 years old get away with two year old stuff, you get mad at your church leadership when you've been 10 years in the Lord and we don't let you get away with two year old stuff? <laughs> That's, do your kids run away from home because they get in trouble for not taking out the trash because you made them responsible? No, I don't think so. Why does everyone run away from church? Really, what, what is wrong with God's people? There's something, something's not right. <laughs> you crazy. You lost your mind. Something is really off. And see, so what does God do? God says, okay, I love, God loves us, okay? I mean, let me just be positive. God loves you and does have a wonderful plan for your life. But His wonderful plan for your life, it's true. It's true. God, God's wonderful plan for your life. Sorry, I won't do that again. God, God's wonderful plan for your life is to tra- to conform you into the image of His Son. You know, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And another translation I really like says to give you the latter end that you have hoped for. But it never says, for I know the plans you have, and I'm now obligated to make that happen for you. But that tends to be how we live, you know? I mean, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord establishes His way. I'm telling you, we quote this stuff all the time, but we do not believe it. We really don't. If we really believe that all things work together for good, we would never complain about what we're going through. Now, does that mean everything that happens is good? Of course not. 
In case you don't know it, there is a will contrary to God's will in this world. There, there's a kingdom that's in conflict with the kingdom of God. There, there is a power of darkness that is fighting against the power of light. And even in you, there are dueling natures. I mean, this is just the fact. Everything is not going to be rosy, you know. Don't tell me, if you come to Jesus, He'll make everything alright. No, He won't. He promised you it wouldn't be alright, at least not until the end. That's right. But what He promised you is that He would give you a way to go through it that would be different than the way everyone else has to go through those things. Amen. But He told us we're in a war. He told us we're in a battle. He told us, yeah, 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 I know God loves us and He's a wonderful Father and Daddy and I believe that. And the only reason I don't preach it is because that's all anybody preaches. That's right. But they totally leave out the other part of the message. And the church is weak and it's selfish and it's self-absorbed and it's full of arrogance and it's full of, it's full of spoiled brats who don't want to do anything if it doesn't do, if it's not bettering for them. And I, I'm, you know what? I think it's okay. Jesus, Jesus was wanting to vomit some people out of His mouth. I think it's okay to, to be spiritually nauseated with some of this stuff. Uh, actually, I don't understand why more of the church is not nauseated. You know, more of the church is nauseated with people like Eric and me who preach this than they are with the fact that this is what they carry in their own lives. All right, let me really de- derail because I'm just going with what's coming. Jesus has the man with the legion of demons. This man came to Jesus. I have people sitting in church that will not come for anything. I was ashamed. I just, I, I'm like, this guy had a legion of demons, but he wanted to be free. Yeah. Amen. So he came to Jesus, and it says he fell at his feet, and he worshipped him. And I'm just looking, I'm like, there's nothing that can keep you from worshipping Jesus. We come to church, and if we if we spilled coffee on our dress, that we're, how yeah, am I supposed to worship? When I'm going to wait and dance, and God let the coffee spill on my dress. You imit, you stupid babe. <laughs> this man had, this man had 6,000 demons. And he's running to the feet of Jesus to worship and he's being set free. Now here's what's even better about that. So Jesus, the, you know, the demons are like, please let us go to the pigs. Jesus says, okay, go to the pigs. What do the pigs do? They run off a cliff and commit suicide. And you know what I'm thinking? I can't believe that pigs won't live for an instant with the things that we will live for with for a lifetime. How stupid is that? What is that about? A pig. A pig is smarter than a person of God sometimes. Explain that to me. Tell me why I shouldn't be upset. Yeah, you're looking at me. That guy's really, yes, I'm upset. It angers me. I'm just like, God didn't give us the, He didn't give us the spirit of stupidity. He gave us the spirit of a sound mind, of power, and of love. And then He gives us all this direction in His Word that if we would just do it, He promised you'll walk in victory. You'll walk in overcoming, you know? You'll have an impact on the people around you. You'll have an impact on the city around you. Twelve men turned the world upside down, and we've got 20,000 member churches that can't even touch their neighborhood. That's pathetic. That is really bad. And I'm not just talking, making fun of them. I have a church of about 40 adults and 15 to 20 kids. And I'm like, Lord, why aren't we having the impact that we want to have? You know why? Because they're still quarreling. There's still immaturity. There's still gossip. They're still analyzing. You know, you know what it is? It's like, it's like they're walking around like this going, let me get the speck out of your eye while they beat the person to death with that plank that they refuse to deal with in their own life. It's because they don't really believe that the Word of God is a mirror and that if they look into it, it's going to reveal the areas and things that need to change, not in their husband's life or in their wife's life, but in their life. Mm. (laughs) So God sends someone to fix it. And I guess what I want to say to you is God sent this church to fix it, but He also sent a man to help fix a people who could be the people that would go out and, and fix this problem. Now, I, I, I look at you all and I don't, I don't see a lack of love, okay? I, 
I'm really not preaching this because I think you disrespect Eric or you don't appreciate his kind of ministry, but uh, I, it just, the word, it just seems to work. The, the other thing is this. When you have that kind of ministry in your church, you're going to have people that actually like you, but they won't come and join you. They won't even know why. But something inside them knows. If they don't get it consciously, something inside knows. If I join up with these people, it's going to require something. If I join up with these people, I'm, I'm going to have to, some things are going to have to change. And even if they don't know it, they sense it. And there's so many people, even Christians, are just not ready for that. And we've had this going on for years where people come into our church, they're, they're healed. They're visibly touched by the Holy Spirit. I've had, I had a girl break down in tears while I was preaching. Uh, yeah, I, I repented of the pride later, you know. Yeah, I'm powerful, all right. Look at that. But, uh, but God just really, He hit her right there. We've had people break down in the worship, and then we never saw them again. Yeah. You know, I mean, she came up and she said, I don't know what happened, but when you were preaching, I broke down. I felt like I was born again. And I'm like, well, that's, that's how it's supposed to feel. I just, I can't believe it. I can't wait to come back. I, that was three years ago. I've never seen her again. There's actually one couple in the church that the guy left the church, and uh, he's one of the few that left the church and doesn't talk bad about us. He said, uh, I really like Dennis. I really like that place, but if I go to church there, I have to change. So he just won't come to church there. But that's what it's like. If you're in a place where you're really trying to direct people towards kingdom, righteousness, surrender, sacrifice. I mean, I love Jesus because he didn't lie to us. Preachers do, but Jesus didn't. If anyone would come to me, he didn't say you have to come, and he didn't beg you to come. He wants you to come, but he said, if you come, here's what's got to happen. You've got to lay down your life. You've got to take up your cross daily. You've got to surrender, and you've got to follow me. If my words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll bear much fruit, and anything you ask, it'll be done for you. But it's always if. And I could preach a whole message to you just called if then, if then, if then. See, we teach today there's no conditions on anything in the new covenant. That's an outright lie. There are tons of conditions. Jesus will receive you just like you are. But then if you think you get to come like you are and there's no conditions on remaining, but, I mean, you just open the book. Open the book and read it. Stop quoting your pet verses and open the Bible and read it. The most frightening words in the Bible are the words that Jesus spoke. Go read those red letters and if they don't terrify you, I'm like, you're more of a man than I am, I tell you. Because it puts the fear of God in me. And that's good because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God is the friend not of those who love Him. God is the friend of those who fear Him. I want friendship with God. I don't want some cheap emotional experience. Am I disappointing you because of how off this is what we talked about? Okay. i got to turn the page over. God kept doing stuff during the meeting. All right. Let's look at like an apostolic ministry. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. New Testament. I actually heard a minister come to the Bible school and He's like, God just, he doesn't judge anymore. And I'm like, oh my God. It's like, so Ananias and Sapphira were blessed that day, huh? It's like, oh Lord, don't bless me like that. I don't need it. I don't want that at all, you know. What about, was it, was it, I always get Simon and Elimus mixed up. Elimus is the one who was struck blind for a season. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't judgment, was it? Cause we, we all need a few days of blindness to get us set straight, don't we? I mean, come on, people. This, this is the God. I mean, d- d- didn't he, even Romans says in the New Testament, the day is going to come where people stop worshiping the creator and they worship the creature. And because of that, God's going to send a strong delusion. And it tells you what people are going to believe because of that delusion. Have you looked at what's happening in America? Are you telling me that's not God sending the delusion because we turned our hearts away from him and we're worshiping the creature rather than the creator? You don't call that judgment? Oh, my gosh. Look what you're 
something. Your blessed mayor. Former mayor. Former? Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, God. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I'm so glad to hear that. Guys, don't tell me it's not the judgment of the delusion. How about whole denominations that are turning away from biblical doctrine? Whole denominations. I just read a statistic from British churches and American churches, and believe it or not, it was worse than the American churches. And this was all across the gamut of denominations, from Baptist to Assembly of God uh, to Catholic, whatever, Catholic, um, to uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, all of Lutheran, anywhere between 22 and 48%, not of the people, of the pastors, deny the virgin birth. Can you? But we call ourselves Christian. You can't deny that and call your... They said, we need to get away from these myths and start getting about the things that matter, the social justice that Jesus was... They're social justice Christians. But you need to drop the word Christian from it. But don't tell me, don't tell me that we can walk like this, that our country can come to this place, and that, God's, that what's happening is not God's judgment. It is God's judgment. I'm praying that it wakes the church up. Yes. You know, that's yes. What, but, but He also told us the end is not going to come unless first there's a great falling away. Now, does that mean we pray, oh, then Lord, let the great falling away? No, no, don't pray for the great falling away. Okay, it's like praying for trials. You don't need to do that. It's just going to happen. Okay, <laughs> but, but it is a sign to us of the days that we're in. You know what it's a sign of? It's, it's a sign that we need to pull our heads out of the sand yes. and start observing what's going on in the culture around us, be aware of the times, and get busy about the kingdom business. Amen. The, the days of just being able to live, you know, even in the past, they said we were such a Christian nation. I, I would beg to differ, maybe way back. But I look back over the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, up until the sexual and the drug revolution in the 60s, what I see is a nation who in the name of God lived out a good morality. I don't really see a Christian nation. You know, you didn't see the power of God moving. You didn't see people living their lives for Jesus. You saw them churchgoers who lived a good moral life. But unfortunately, that's not Christianity. You know, that, that's not salvation. So really, we've been walking away from these things for a long time, but they finally just began to be more overtly manifest. That's right. And now they're so overtly manifest that, praise God, the darkness and the light are becoming more evident. And that's a good thing. The church is being pruned and purified, and that's a good thing. But if the church that's being purified doesn't rise up and get about the Father's business and begin to walk in a calling that's transformational and transitional for the culture, well, then really, what's it all for? That's right. You know, If it's just so that we can come, if we come and enjoy the good worship in these four walls and a good word in these four walls and don't do anything with it out there, we're going to die too. Because God's, God's not going to bless a church... Uh, that's put its candle under a bushel. We need to go out and let it shine. And I'm sorry, guys, this isn't what I was planning on talking. You know, even, even though I'm supposed to be talking about what I wasn't planning to talk about, I'm now talking about something that I wasn't planning to talk about in what I wasn't planning to talk about. So it's, it's a little confusing. I hope it's clear. I hope it's coming through well. Um, but true apostolic ministry is kind of scary, you know, because they didn't give a warning. I mean, you know, Ananias showed up and they didn't know what was going to happen. But Peter's like, and I think it's so funny because the guy gave most of the money. I mean, isn't that ironic that he wasn't stealing or holding back? I mean, he gave a good portion of the money. All he did was lie about a little money. I mean, we would receive the blessing and think, well, do better next time. You didn't have to lie. It's okay. But Peter's like, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> Drop dead. <laughs> That's in church, New Testament. <gasps> and the youth ministry, their job was to take them out and bury them. I mean, there's your ministry, kids. When someone comes and drops dead, you get to take them out and bury them. And a couple of hours later, his wife comes in, you know, and you would think that some of the greeters at the door would be going, listen, just 
I would I'd speak the truth, to be honest today, you know. Listen, it's, it's serious in there. Peter is in a mood, and God is doing some stuff, Sapphira. You might want to just be really clear, okay? But no, nobody warned her or anything, you know. We warn people about everything, you know. She comes up and is like, so is it, yeah, all right, we'll join your, you know, and there she goes. Hey, youth ministry, come on, you know. They, it wasn't like Starbucks coffee and shooting pool. It was burying the dead that God judged in the church. There's a youth ministry, I'll tell you what. That's, that's scary. And an apostolic ministry should be intimidating. It should be a little scary to the people who don't want to surrender to Jesus Christ. You know, you know how you can tell that most self-proclaimed apostles aren't really apostles? Because I'm not scared of any of them. I don't care how much they're on TV or how much they're, how much money they have. I can meet them and be like, yeah, I am just not impressed, you know? If you scare me, maybe you're an apostle, you know? If you come up, it's like, oh, there's something with that guy, you know? That's a different story. But it's a scary anointing. But think about this. After that, what do you see happening? Peter's walking the streets, plural, of Jerusalem. And people are just trying to get in his shadow to get healed. Amen. The apostolic anointing on a ministry can be a little scary to those who don't want to be real with Jesus. But for those who do, that's the open door to that first century power that we desire to see so much manifesting in the church. So it's it's an important thing that we recognize and receive this calling and this ministry on the houses that God's appointed it to because the very things that we hunger and desire for, we're not going to see them until we're first able to recognize and receive the mantle that God's putting on us as a ministry. Uh, Let's see, there was something else here. Another thing, yeah, here's a... You know, the foundation of the church is Jesus, right? The foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. Wait, I thought it was Jesus. Is it Jesus or is it the apostles and the prophets? Yes. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. But what does the foundation mean? It means that there's there's something strong and sturdy built at the bottom which can support everything that's built on top of it. Apostolic is not, I'm the head of a network and everybody does what I say. That I promote myself and my books and my program and you're here to serve me. And, you know, what is this thing about I just want to carry your bag? I don't even have a bag and if I did, I can carry it. I mean, I don't need a bag carrier. What I need are some hungry people who want to be discipled in the ways of Jesus Christ. Not people people kissing my not-as-thin white butt as used to be uh, in order to try to get a position that maybe I can carry them to a place that they want to go. We need some people who are hungry for discipleship. We need some people who are hungry for the Lord. We need some people who are looking and saying, whatever the cost is, whatever it takes, I just, I just want, to, I want to walk this out with you so that we can grow together and have an impact for the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm looking for. Amen. Apparently, there's not as many people as I thought there were that want that. But I'm trusting that the Lord's always got a remnant. You know, a few years ago, I felt like Elijah. I just want to die, Lord, there's nobody. But he assures me there's a remnant. There's always a remnant. Amen. And, uh, you know, he asked me that question one day. He said, son, do you think you should be effective at reaching 1% of the city? And I was like, 1%? My God, of course. Well, sure, we should reach 1%. He's like, well, how much is that? I was like, well, that's 4,000 people. Huh? That It's much more intimidating to think about 4,000, so I've, I'm sticking with 1%. So we have that on our promise board, that we will be effective at reaching 1% of the city. Imagine if you reached 1% of Houston. Wow. You know, I don't know what that would look like. I don't know that it would all be in one meeting place. I, I, don't know, I don't know that it wouldn't be a bunch of one association churches with different pastors and not just Eric on satellite. But, 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 in, a, but, in, a, but in effect, it's the one association ministry, right? Yeah. Amen. Can't you believe for that? That yes. through the one association, God could take 1% of this city for the glory of Jesus Christ? That there's got to be a 1% remnant that want to escape the darkness and the depravity of the culture? and enter into something real and life-giving, just 1%, 
and one percent of Houston. That's uh, what is Houston? Six million? Yeah, about. Really, one percent of six million is forty thousand? My math is way off. I thought it was sixty thousand. It's four million. Oh, it's the Dallas area that has six million. I'm sorry. Okay, four million people, forty thousand. Without a vision, the people perish. Let's get a big vision. Amen. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. You know, there's no issue with the harvest. There's an issue with the laborers. But what did God say? Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. Sent people are apostolic people. And God is looking for an apostolic ministry from which he can send people out to reap in the harvest that is Jesus' inheritance for his glory. Amen. Um... Oh, my. Okay. I was like, okay, in closing, you know, I always said I, pre- I preach a long time in Romania because of translation. I come here and find out I'm just a liar. I just preach long. One of the things, you know, can I, can I tell you, I'm, I'm very impressed when I sit with Eric and Matt and Wade because I've never heard so much strategy, so much focus, so much organization, so much understanding about the dynamic of how everything's working because... Everything I've ever done, I've done by, I just fly by the seat of my pants. It's just the kind of guy I am. Um, I, I would think the Lord is disappointed except that he called me, uses me, and continues to keep me there, so somehow it must be okay. He, you know, not many noble, not many wise, not many mighty, but the low things, the base things, the despised things. Hey, all right. It should say the, 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 the drug-abused minded things that can't even focus for very long, you know, that God will take those things and, uh, and he'll use them for his glory. But I'm very impressed when I see that here. But because of our situation, I'm just, I, I'm not like Wade. I don't have that. I mean, it's just, I'm like, wow. I can't even think that long, much less that clearly about a certain topic, you know. <laughs> so here's what we do. Our team gets together. This is my feeling, just like David. Lord, you called me here. You put me here. And if you're ever through with me here, you can have it. So it leaves a lot of security. If God takes it away, God took it away. I'm okay with that. Man's never going to get what God gave me. But I, I said, okay, guys, don't know what to do. Never done this before. We're going to walk it out together. So you know what we do? We pray. We hear the Lord. We do what we said as best as we can. And then we go back and we pray some more. And then we hear the Lord. And then we do what he said again. That's just the way that we've done our church for the last 10 years since we started. We don't know another way to do it. Amen. But Jesus only did what he saw, saw the Father doing. Amen. He only said what he heard the Father saying. I thought, maybe it's a recipe for success, you know? Maybe this is the kind of church that God wants to raise up with the people who simply seek him, hear what he says, and then do it. And you know, if you look at it from that perspective, doesn't, does that take a lot of pressure off of you? Yeah. That doesn't sound so hard, does it? Oh, just pray, hear God, and do it. Oh, man, you know, I, th- I thought I'd have a 10-year plan, and I thought surely we have to have a bunch of programs and methods because that's obviously what you do to draw people. You know, I personally, I thought the greatest church growth book was, you know, was kind of found here. Yeah. But apparently it's written by a bunch of people who never authored a book in that book. <laughs> now, here's the part that I want to give you that I hope is going to help you. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9, There are many who oppose me. But I like it. He says, I'll stay on until 
because a great door is open for me, and there are many who oppose me. So a great door is open, but even in the midst of the great door, there's a lot of opposition. That's right. You know? If there's not opposition, and I'm not just, I'm not a glutton for punishment. I promise you that. I would love a smooth, easy life, and God has seen fit to not give me that. But there is, if there's not difficulty, if there's not persecution, if there's not opposition, I think we have to ask ourselves, Lord, are we really doing anything for the kingdom? Jesus said, if they hated you, they're going to hate me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If we pursue him, if we really go after the harvest, if we really go after the release of the kingdom, we come into conflict with the other kingdom. That's right. When you're in conflict, when you're in battle, I mean, has anyone ever seen a war movie, you know? I mean, unless it's the French, there's actually fighting going on. You know, I mean, that's just, that's how it is, right? But when you have, when you have this kind of calling and anointing on your ministry, it makes you a target, okay? It makes you a target. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you finally laughed at something I said. That's good. It makes you a target for the enemy, okay? And uh, think about this. If, you, <laughs> if you're compromised with the culture or you're just, you're, you're just all about the blessing the people or you know, these things that, that, that don't do anything to lift people up to a faith-to-faith, glory-to-glory type of walk with the Lord, uh, if, you're, if you never develop the people to stand in the weapons of their warfare, if, they, if you're not putting the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord in them, the one offensive weapon that they have to really go after the devil, with it, if you're not doing those things, why would the enemy bother with you? If he's already got you or you're not a threat to him, why would he bother with you? So what does that tell you? If you are a threat to him, if you are bothering him, well, there's a big old target on your church. There's a big old target on your back. And that means that the fiery darts of the enemy, the flaming missiles are just going to be constantly bombarding and headed at your direction. And that's why you better have that shield of faith lifted up. Because if you don't, they're going to penetrate. They're going to burn. They're going to sting. They're going to cause problems. And even if you have the shield of faith up, have you ever noticed that problems still manage to come? Yeah. Have y'all ever had a problem in your church? Okay. Recently? Does it seem continual? Yes. Praise God. You're a target. You must be something, doing something to threaten the kingdom of the enemy. And you say, but we're in this huge city of Houston in this small group. I don't care. Twelve men turn the world upside down. That's right. How much more can you do with a church this size? And I've got triple that twelve. So I'm thinking, okay, great. The works that they did, we can do in greater because we got triple the people. You've got, how many people are here? You got more than 12. All right? You can certainly turn Houston upside down. And at least you can start with Sugarland. Amen. You can get Sugarland turned, you know, from sugar to milk and honeyland. How about that? You know, sugar's not healthy anyway, right? Turn it into something good. I left out a verse in Acts 20, 27 where he says, I, I didn't neglect to give you the whole counsel of God, you know? It seems like that's what the church doesn't want. Don't give me the whole counsel. Just give me what I want to hear. That's right. And we've surrounded ourselves in these last days with teachers who tell us what our itching ears want to hear. But Paul's like, I'm not going to do that to you. I love you too much. I want to see you grow and develop. I want to see you fulfill the purpose. I want to see you end the race well. And that means I've got to give you the whole counsel of God or you're not going to have what you need to do it. But what happened for me was this. I don't think there's anything else I really need to to say about this. What happened for me is this. First of all, I had to go to the Lord with our team and I said, "Here we have to begin by saying, Lord, we received this calling. 
We receive this mantle that you have spoken over our church because if we don't first receive it, we can never walk in it. That's when it really the revelation came. We have been getting robbed because we have been perishing for a lack of knowledge. We did not know that this was our calling. We did not know that this was the anointing that God was putting on this church. We didn't know what we were supposed to be walking in, so we weren't going after it. And the enemy was constantly robbing us because we weren't standing for it. So we went to the Lord and we said, Lord, and I, I, I'll tell you, this was hard for me. I am not a man who's like, thank you, Lord. We have an apostolic calling. Pour it out. Bless me. I said, Lord, I, I, would, never, I would never ask this or choose this, but because you said it. For me, the only reason I can take it is because he said it. But because you said that this is an apostolic house with an apostolic calling, first thing we do is we receive your calling. We are receiving your apostolic mantle so that we can do what it is that you've called us to do. And the second thing we pray and have been praying is this. Now, Lord, we are humbly asking you to give us the strategy and the wisdom to walk this out so that we can see the manifestation of this apostolic gift through first century power. Because that is what we need to see today. It's not even supposed to be just first century power. We're supposed to go past that. The glory today should be greater than it was then, you know. And we're all hungering just to see what they saw. But I believe if we can take hold of the mantle and the calling that God has spoken over us as houses of God, and we can ask Him humbly for the wisdom and the strategy to walk it out, we'll begin to receive it. And as we receive it, the man, it'll, it'll manifest. It'll just begin to pour out of us like rivers of living water. And as we go, we'll declare the kingdom with an apostolic anointing, and we'll cleanse the lepers, we'll heal the sick, we'll cast out demons, and we'll raise the dead. And the world will see that Jesus Christ is real, not just because of our word, because it doesn't come in word only, but the power and the demonstration of the Spirit will be there. The second thing that happened is, I don't know if y'all have ever felt this way as a church, but we had really come to the point, even as a leadership, we, we try not to complain. We really are pleased with what God's done. And we can always look back and see His faithfulness. You know, we just did a room of our own. We converted a 2,500-square-foot garage into a sanctuary. Yes. Uh, of course, it cost double what we anticipated. Yeah. It was $20,000. Now, for you, that's not a big amount of money. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm talking about for a church budget, though, you know. But for, for us, it may as well have been a million dollars. I just started on my credit card. Now, I'm not a man to, I, I don't believe in using a lot of credit, but I just said, Lord, we got to start by faith. I'm just going to go for it. I had $7,500 on my credit card. <laughs> they, they liked me so much that after I hit it, they wrote me, they said, Mr. Pinch, you're such a, we just increased your credit limit. I said, well, great. I may need more to finish this room, you know? So, uh, we got it done. Boy, did God use that to reveal a lot of things in people, but we got the room done and the money just started coming. I mean, from the most unusual places, from the most surprising places. We had someone who had been struggling with cancer and had been in the hospital, been through a year of chemo chemo and all of that stuff with no insurance. They sent us $3,000. Wow. And I know people that have tons of money that didn't send a dime. And I just thought, Lord, the way you do things, it's just amazing. It's really amazing. So uh, within three months, everything that I had charged and... uh, Everything else. I mean, we ordered carpet when we had no money because we had to order carpet. And Roger just said the same thing. We were like, well, we do everything else by faith. I guess we just order it. And the day that they showed up, the night before the money came. And we paid for the carpet. So the only thing that's not paid for is our heating air conditioning unit at $1,700. But a man from the church loaned us that money. So it's interest free and we've got several months to pay it back. Everything else is paid for. It's amazing. Amen. So we can always see God's faithfulness. Now I get to go home and focus on starting a children's room. I don't, I don't know where my faith is yet, but we'll find out when I get home. But that's about another three to $4,000, so y'all can pray with us for that. But um, 
But in spite of all of that, we had come to a place where we were really asking, Lord, why don't we see what you said? We have great and awesome promises. We're not in rebellion. We're not doubting. We're constantly proclaiming. We're constantly praying. We're pressing in. Why aren't we seeing it? And, and not only that, where's the explosion of the growth? Where are the people that are hungry? Why are we having so many problems? Why is there constantly financial attack? I just lost a $500 a month supporter. This is the supporter whose support gave me the faith to go after the house that we're in. And now he, he got in tax trouble. And he, so we just lost $500 a month in support. It's like, when does it stop? When does it stop and we get to the good days, you know? Well, I realized we must be doing something effective for the kingdom. Amen. That's why we're being attacked. So instead of asking, Lord, why is it happening? I'm now like, Lord, I know why this is happening. It changed everything. I mean, it brought me out of the, out of the clouds and the fog. It renewed my strength and vigor. It, it, it strengthened my stamina. I mean, everything just turned in an instant, in one day. Amen. Everything turned around. And now I'm looking and saying, and now I'm looking like they said, this is from Acts uh, 5, 40 and 41. You know, when they get called in before the rulers and they get beaten and sent back out and told not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. And the first thing is that, praise God, we were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Amen. And now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, thank you, thank you, God. What we're doing is so effective that we are worthy of suffering for the name of... See, you get that perspective, everything changes, because I've, I've, this is what I can tell you. The trials, they're not going to stop. The enemy doesn't sleep. He doesn't lose strength. He's going to keep attacking. But your attitude in those trials can change. And when you begin to praise God and really believe that all things are going to work together for good because you love God and you're called according to His purpose, you can rejoice in anything. And I'm glad I saved this story for the end and I'll close with this. Right after he shared this message, the very next day, a man came to see us. He has religious relatives and religious friends and he said, I, he said, I don't like to spread gossip. But this is so bad, I just I have to tell you all what's being said. We said, go ahead, we've heard it all. You always think you've heard it all. He said, I've heard it all, go ahead. And so he looked at me at Rodney and he said, well, you know, there were, someone was, it was my brother's friend knows someone who used to come to your church and their brother-in-law still comes here and they said that, uh, you know, they just, they, they can't handle the smoking, the cigars. Uh, it was a woman who actually smoked cigars with us until her son got in trouble for smoking. And he said, but mommy, Dennis smokes cigars. How come you're mad at me? Then she got offended at me because she thinks I'm the reason that her son was out smoking cigarettes and drinking in a bar. She's an idiot. What can I say? But she, she, I found out it was her afterwards. They just left the church. And so he came and he said, you know, she's about the smoking and they didn't like this. And, and then she said, and by the way, you do know Dennis is homosexual, right? To her whole religious family. And so this is what's spreading through clues right now. Now, here's what's funny about that. Well, first of all, it's funny because I am in love with a man. But it's Jesus, so that's okay. But, um, you know, I told the church, I said, when she can produce my boyfriend in clues, we'll have something to talk about. But good luck with that because uh, I said, the biggest gay church in the world is in Dallas, Texas. Do you really think I would come here if that were the case? I have a place I could be well accepted and still feel like what says, like, really, people wake up. And I was also surprised. I said, really, devil? I'm 45 and single. You waited till now? I thought you'd have tried this like five, seven years ago. I'm amazed you waited this long. It's really funny. But 11 years ago, one of the Pentecostal pastors accused me. We had a gypsy cleaning girl who was an orphan living in the school. 
She was in immorality and she got pregnant. Well, guess, guess who the father was according to the Pentecostal pastors? So now I've gone from impregnating gypsies to homosexuality. I mean, I'm, I'm all over the place, I tell you. But the thing is this, when that happened, when that accusation came 11 years ago, I mean, I was, I was fit to be tied. I was ready to go out and God said, if you'll keep your mouth shut, I'll defend you. Well, Dennis wasn't the guy to keep his mouth shut back then. And I was like, if you keep your mouth shut, I'll defend you. But God, everybody's, he said, if you keep your mouth shut, I'll defend you. So I, I bit my tongue and I kept, it was hard, but I did. And that thing just blew over. Now this kind of accusation comes, which should be like 10 times worse. And as soon as it came, I'm like, that's not the worst thing I've been called. And what can I do about it anyway? You know, the Lord really revealed something, just how much he's done among us. But the other thing is it came the day after Mike Massa shared this word. And I looked at it, and the first thing I thought, I said, God, thank you. We are evidently doing something so much more effective than we realized that we've been encountered, we've been counted worthy for the enemy to raise people up to try to destroy us in every form and fashion. And I tell you, I'm rejoicing in it. I am not, I'm not bothered by it. I mean, I have really have been called worse. I've been called Satan by the people in the other churches. And certainly Satan's worse than, you know, your typical homosexual, right? I'm reckoning so. But I just want to ask you guys, I really feel to ask you this. What have you been victimized under? Because I do believe that this part is not just me talking about Mike Mass's word and how it relates to you. I feel like the Lord wants to ask some of you, what it is that you, what have you been playing the victim to? What is it that's been so overwhelming and so, and you just, God, why, why does it keep happening? And when is it going to stop? And I just want to tell you, God just gave you your answer. But you're going to have to come to a place of repentance and confessing before the Lord, I've played the victim because I didn't understand. I didn't see that our lives mattered so much that we've been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name, that the enemy would actually put a target on our back and come after us in such a fashion. Uh, the second thing I uh, have already forgotten because I don't have notes for it. Well, we'll just go with that then. How about if you stand up and close your eyes and we'll be spiritual and emotional, okay? Can I, can I ask you something? Did this speak to you? Yes. Okay. That was really, you know, that was the hope that, uh, that some lights would go on and that God could begin to, not even begin, I, I just feel like tonight, I hope you can walk out like I did that night. That in an instant, because of God's revelation, everything changed. Nothing would bless me more than for Eric to tell me, Dennis, people came to me and said, that night something changed for me. Amen. If that happens, I'll be blessed beyond measure. Amen.